Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, the source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie coming to you from Blanco, Texas this time, and Rahul's back in Connecticut. Rahul, I think this shows our commitment to this podcast. We're coming in from all over this time. Yes, we are, and that's our commitment to our 10,000 followers. <laughs> there you go. Exciting, exciting times for us here. Uh, obviously, you're back from uh, Thanksgiving. I've taken an extended Thanksgiving break going out into Blanco. But look, that's not going to stop us. That's not going to stop Chelsea news coming in. What do you want to start with today? There's only one place to start, my friend. And unfortunately, it's the 1-1 draw against Manchester United. More like a point drop than a point gained? I honestly felt like a loss after the game. Uh, and that shows you the standard that we've set, which is... We should be beating them uh, at home, even if it's 2-1. which should be a win, and uh, it definitely should have been a lot more than uh, the one goal that we scored. Yeah, definitely a tough one to swallow, given Manchester United's problems, given Chelsea's form, coming off a heavy win in Champions League, and then you see this, and it's, it's difficult. You know, it's one of those situations that, you want to kind of open up the gap or continue to keep that gap at the top of the Premier League, but obviously it doesn't happen. But let's jump into the starting 11. Why don't you take us through it? So Mendy starts in goal. Uh, Chalabas, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger for a third uh, consecutive game in the week. Uh, Reese James, Loftus-Cheek comes in for Angolo Conte, uh, who had gone off injured against Juventus. Jorginho in midfield, and then Alonso, who comes in for Ben Chilwell, who's out for about six weeks with a... Um, damage to his ACL. Right. And we have Ziek and Hudson-Odoi up top with Timo Werner. Yeah, so he rotates out Kai Havertz. Uh, Hakim Ziek and, you know, Hudson-Odoi have been doing decently well, so they come back into squad. No surprise, really, with Alonso. I know you had talked about maybe asking the question playing at left wing back or maybe even James or, you know, maybe Pulisic or, yeah. or Callum Hudson-Odoi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he goes with Alonso, tried and trusted, a great wing back in his in himself. And so not too surprising on the, on the starting 11. Maybe Trevor Chaloba, talk about him for a second. I don't think we had pipped him to start another game. Uh, we hadn't, but it was almost a decision that Chaloba had forced in the sense that he had performed so well against Leicester, against Juventus. Uh, it would have been a bit harsh for Tuchel to drop him. Uh, and Chaloba continues to perform and keep out uh, a legend and club captain, Aspilicueta. Yeah, it's high praise to the young man. And look, Aspilicueta, I, I pick him any day. I think he's one of our best defenders. But you start looking at 32, and, and I know I'm shooting myself in the foot here because the man next to him, Thiago Silva, is looking at 37 or going towards 38. But look, that's not the point, right? You, you look towards the future, and I think Chaloba is trying to build something for himself here and, and kind of show he can hold on to that position as the team goes on for the season. Yeah, and I mean, I think Tuchel almost predicted that Manchester United were going to play with uh, definitely one in terms of Rashford as the pacey forward. Uh, and no disrespect to Aspilicueta, I think Chaloba just has the pace to to deal with a player like Rashford. So I think that's another reason he got picked. But um, he justified that decision. I think he performed pretty well. And uh, the rest of the team, for most of the part, performed pretty well we'll get into that first half uh, here in a second but uh, can't really complain with most of the team maybe I think Timo Werner for me uh, and maybe I'm saying this based off the 90 minutes that I watched 
but coming off an injury, I know he scored midweek against Juventus. I think he could have uh, started from the bench in this game, and we could have maybe gone with maybe a Havertz or a Pulisic like we have in the last couple of games. Yeah, you know, with Kai Havertz, Rahul, I think it's one of those things where he's not really scoring too many goals in that position. He's not really creating too many assists in that position. And so it's almost Tuchel saying, let me go back to a traditional quote-unquote striker in Timo Werner and see what he can do. Yes, uh, on the 90 minutes, I think it's tough to decide why he went down that position and, and watched the game. But look, he is a striker, be it a second striker, whatever you want to call it, or more natural to that position. So giving him an opportunity is not a bad thing. Uh, another one to talk about, maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think he was brilliant in the last couple of games. And N'Golo Kante being out, it's kind of nice to see Ruben just slide in there and do a really good job. Yeah, we've spoken about it all all season pretty much with Loftus-Cheek and uh, him seem, seemingly sliding into the lineup like he belongs there and and doing the right things and, and supporting Jorginho. I think they are starting to develop a good understanding. Uh, and that'll be crucial because we continue to have issues with Conte and Kovacic and we're going into a pretty busy period. So uh, I think those two will be uh, starting for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not a bad pairing to look at, but other than that, not much to say about the starting 11. Why don't you take us through that first half? Yeah, so I mean, it was all Chelsea. We started off pretty well. Hudson Adoy has an opportunity in the first couple, maybe three minutes in where he is running onto goal from, from that left wing uh, and tries to bend it around De Gea. Uh, the, uh, there was another option in Timo Werner, but if you watch that whole move again, I think Werner... Uh, drifts a little too far away from him or and doesn't go towards the goal. He goes a little too right. And that allows Wambasaka to come in. And I think that forces Hudson Adoy and to make take that shot. Now the other argument is Hudson Adoy doesn't even look up to see if Werner is, is doing anything. Uh, so it's a little bit of Hudson Adoy maybe felt like he wanted to to start off and grab the headlines. Um, and in that situation, if Timo maybe a little more vocal and, and made the right run uh, could have could have given us a different result, which was an early goal. And I think if we get an early goal, uh, this game is completely different than how it turns out. Yeah, it's one of those where looking back on it, yes, you want Hudson Adoy to either put in the net or find Timo who could put in the net and then definitely early goal changes the game. But then I look at Hudson Adoy and I think 2021 20, playing very well week in, week out. I think these are things that come with learning the game. And now, look, I know that at a young age, you've got to be, quote unquote, the finished product. But I think just a few more games, a little more uh, hand around the, the head from, from Tuchel saying, do this or do that. And you can actually see him developing into something better. So it's not one that I want to dwell on too much because I think you're going to talk about how much chances, how much possession, how many corners we had in the rest of the game. I mean, we dominated that first half. I I put up a thing on our Instagram and I said, didn't realize we were playing Burnley again uh, because United were defensively just putting everyone behind the ball, blocking the goal. And and to our credit, even with the number of players that were defending for United, we were still finding opportunities or working the, the ball in a position where we could score. Unfortunately, you don't get any goals for you could you have to put that ball in the net, and we weren't doing that. Rudiger hits the bar. Uh, we are, have about 71% possession uh, in that first half, and 
that's I know we like to play with the ball and we like to hold on to the ball, but to do that against a United side, uh, it's, it's pretty credit worthy. It's interesting because you look at that much possession and you talked about creating chances or, or almost scoring. And, and you, you start looking and Burnley's a good, a good example because I think I texted you that saying this feels almost feels like Burnley because we need to find a way to finish, which is early on or when your chances happen because we're getting towards the end of games and then we're struggling or we're panicking or we're worried. And then we say, you know what, you know, nail, nail, one, one is not such a bad result, but you start looking at the possession, you start looking at the shots, you start looking at the corners and you go, is one, one good enough. And look, we're top of the table still. We're playing really, really good football, beautiful football, attractive to the eye, which is what Chelsea fans and maybe even our, our owner for years have been asking for. But how do you take it that that step for them be clinical? I think the word is to be clinical and just put those chances away when they come to you. And I think that's where we miss not every game, because of course we just came up the four nil uh, dismantling of Juventus, as we've said. But you talk about Man United now, and you talk about Burnley, and you talk about a couple of other games this season where it's like we're there, just finally put the ball in the net, and it just doesn't seem to happen. It it doesn't, and that's been a theme for us. You could say. Uh, like you said, we've had some good wins this season, 7-0, 4-0, 3-0. But in the games where we haven't scored enough, it's been a theme that we haven't been clinical enough. In fact, you could say in the games that we have scored 3-4, it could have been 5, it could have been 6, it could have been 7. And so that's been a theme, not just this season, not just last season under Tuchel or Lampard or the season before. It just seems like we've been missing that piece or, or that attacking kind of connection that gets us these goals and gets us to a head in, in the first half where it becomes a whole different ball game. We tend to hang on. And I say hang on because it, it turns into, Oh, we couldn't finish off. We've now got to come back and, and try to do this again. Um, we tend to do that pretty much every game. If it's not one nil, or 2-0, it's it's nil-nil, and then we're saying, now the other team's going to grow back into it, and that's exactly what happened. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned even the games are winning 4-0 or 5-0. You talk about Juventus where it's 4-0. I remember actually having a conversation with my dad, and I was like, wasn't Chelsea amazing against Juventus 4-0? And he goes, honestly, it could have been 6 or 7. And, and, and then you notice he's a neutral fan. He's a Man United fan, and they watch the game, and they go, yeah, I mean, it was a good performance. It's it's against a big team like Juventus, but why didn't you kill them six or seven? Not saying that's what should have happened in the Juventus game, just using that as a perspective of other fans are looking at Chelsea and saying, yeah, you're great. Yeah, you're good. How do you take it to another level and really kill off teams? And again, back to Manchester United, like you've already said it, you've said it best. It, it, it pains me to say it, but it did feel a little bit like a loss. It did. And and you, I mean, United's setup was was for this to be Chelsea dominate the ball up until the final third of their or their box. And uh, then they deal with it with the clearance or with the block. And and if you watch that game closely or watch the replay and in certain moments, even though they played a back four with Baye and Lindelof as the two center backs, Matic and McTominay were basically dropping into that back line and making it a back six, uh, which was obviously nullifying the threat of Reese James and Alonso who tend to come narrower uh, and credit to them. That was their plan. And, and they got what they, they came for uh, almost got more than that. Um, but I think it comes down to us and it comes down to Tuchel that 
other teams are going to do the same thing. Burnley kind of did the same thing. Man City did the same thing earlier this year. Uh, United have now done it. Other teams are going to do it. And in the Premier League, this is going to happen again where teams will defend and go up on the other end and get a goal. But let's move on to the second half and we can come back to some of these uh, points that we're bringing up. So second half starts again. We've kind of started on the same uh, tune where we're dominating corners coming our way. And uh, I think we ended this game with about 15 corners. So from corners alone, we, we should have been <laughs> winning this game. Um, and from one such corner, we have everyone up, which in, its, in itself is a question of why isn't there more than one person in, in the back? But everyone's up. We're trying to score. United get the ball. They clear it high up into the air, into the Stamford Bridge lights uh, that have been spoken about. And it lands towards Jorginho around the halfway point, and he tries to control it instead of just headed back. Uh, and he miscontrols it, and and you can see Sancho and Rashford are are waiting for that moment because San- Sancho pounces on that loose ball, and he's he's gone. Uh, he's one on one and does a little dance and shimmy and and puts it, and it's one nil in the 50th minute, and you're looking around and saying, "We were dominating this game." You talked about the lights at Stamford Bridge. Obviously, you can see my lighting here for those <laughs> on YouTube. Isn't that great? But Rahul, your lighting is almost like it's in your eyes. I mean. There was a joke that Tuchel made about that, right? Yeah, he said, I mean, I guess he, he's being a manager and protecting his player and saying, you know, he, he said it, it went up and Jorginho lost in the light. So that's one of the reasons why he didn't clear it. But you've got to be honest and just and say it comes down to Jorginho making a decision of trying to control it versus just knocking it back with his head. Right. Um, and and th- we this happened to us before with Conte against Arsenal where he tries to control it, he slips, and Martinelli is now one-on-one. And, and the question is, yeah. why, why haven't we learned from it? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it's, it's the perfect opportunity that Man United were waiting for, right? That was their game plan, is sit back, low block, defend as strongly as you possibly can, and hopefully somebody will make a mistake or will give away an opportunity that we can capitalize. And, and they did that. They did a good job of waiting they did have counterattacks through that first half and second half where they took the opportunities, unlike Chelsea, who had those 15 corners, who had those 71% of the ball and didn't take those opportunities. And so, yes, we can sit here and point blame at Jorginho as much as it's easy to, to get him to be the scapegoat. But if we're looking at two, two goals in the first half, one maybe in the second, two in the second, this one goal mistake doesn't mean anything at that point. We'll be talking about it as a... Yes, there was lights in his eyes, but it doesn't mean anything at that point in the time. So it's one of those things where I think Man United deserved the goal and they worked hard for it. I don't know if they deserved it, but they did work hard. Uh, and that, and having Sancho and Rashford allows you that ability to go from defending a corner to scoring a goal within seconds. Uh, and again, it comes down to what happened in the Burnley game where we were leading in that game, but we conceded and then we tend to panic a little bit. Because we we tend to say, okay, now we're at home. We shouldn't be losing this game. Uh, and United start growing into the game, capitalizing on some of our, our decisions that we make out of panicking. Uh, and you can almost see kind of a switch in in the trend that United seem to be a little more dominant and comfortable and, and, and backing themselves to go and get a second. They throw Ronaldo on. We haven't even spoken about him. Uh, being benched they throw him on and and then you're thinking okay they really think they're gonna get a second here with with him uh, but I think 
we rode that way from United. We rode the the panicking a little bit, and we kind of come back into it. Go ahead, go and get another corner, and from a corner, ironically or or, or coincidentally, we get a penalty. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just good luck. It's amazing. Or you look at all the things that we had talked about with Anthony Taylor and VAR and. Man United is always getting the right decision, but we get lucky. And, and yes, when I look at it, it is a penalty. I think it's a soft penalty because I don't think it's something where we're trying to, to foul the player. It's two guys trying to make, make first contact to the ball. And luckily for us, Thiago Silva gets the first touch and Aaron Wan-Bissaka just kind of you know, nails him right after. And we get, we get that penalty. And look, I think it is a penalty. I think it's one of those that it can go 50-50. I think if it happened in the Chelsea box and we got away with it, I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine with that because we were just trying to clear the ball. But at the same time, it's one of those where I don't want to rely on the penalty and hope that we're going to go back. But honestly, Rahul, I, I don't think as close as we were getting, as many chances as we were getting, as much possession as we had, if not for that penalty, I don't see us scoring a goal that day. I, I have to agree with you. It almost seemed like we were knocking on the door and, and trying to kick it down and push it down. But it was shut tight. It was it was not going to open up, and and this penalty kind of gave gave us an opportunity. And you got to give credit to Jorginho. He went from struggling and, and giving away a goal to to scoring a penalty and bringing us back into it. And that's his character. And I I guess that sums up his Chelsea career in a way, where he came in was slandered, was was called sorry son, um, and he wrote all of that and and has come back and turned into one of our most important players. Um, and scores this penalty. I think it was the seventh or eighth consecutive penalty he scored. Um, so congratulations to him for that. And from that point on, you can see, okay, now Chelsea are kind of coming back into the driver's seat. Uh, some subs come on a little bit late for me with Mount and Pulisic coming on around the 77th minute. Uh, Lukaku comes on around the 82nd. And we're continuing to push. We have an opportunity with Lukaku. We have an opportunity with Pulisic, with Mount. They're all making an, 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 an improvement. But the biggest opportunity falls to Tony Rudiger right at the end. And he skies it. You know, I, I want to talk about a few more topics, but I'm going to address the Tony Rudiger one first. I think I stopped breathing for half a second. <laughs> My heart skipped a beat for half a second because... You look at that, you look at the position, and you say it's a goal all day long. Yes, Tony Rudiger is not a striker. He's not necessarily in those positions, but he's a top-class footballer, and you can bury that one in the net with no stress or anything. And I think that's one of the situations he came out on Instagram afterwards and said, I should have scored that one. And it just goes to show that sometimes when it's not your day, it's not your day. And so you look at it this way, and you kind of take it on the chin and say it was not our day. But I want to circle back to a couple of things that you were talking about earlier. Jorginho, to start off with, I think, Kudos to him to take such a big, yes, Tuchel says it's, it's his eyes, he lost track of the ball, but not to sugarcoat it, it's a mistake. He, he made a big mistake trying to control the ball when you saw two Man United players coming in you, but kudos to him to take that and not let him put it down. He still steps up for the penalty, and my goodness, I don't think we gave him enough credit for how well he puts this penalty away. I mean, you would have never known that he made such a big mistake a few minutes ago. The confidence of him to do that little hop, skip, and jump stare down De Gea, who's a good penalty saver in his own right, and just bury that shows me that he has got some steel running through him, and he's not afraid of mistakes and not afraid of criticism. He's going to step up and do the job. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about Tuchel, Rahul. We've praised him 
quite a bit this season and even last season about his tactical genius, dare I say, his tactical awareness, uh, something we criticized Frank Lampard for. And we're looking at the game at one nail down and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for a change and I'm screaming. I said, give me Chris. I want to see Christian Pulisic. Give me Mason Mount. Give me Lukaku. I want to see a change. Not because with no disrespect to anybody playing, they were playing well. They just weren't finding the key to unlock the Man United defense. And sometimes you've got to try a different key. You've got to bring a different player on that can unlock the defense. And I was screaming for Christian Pulisic because I know he's got multiple keys in his pocket sometimes to unlock tight defenses. But it just took too long to come on, in my opinion. I have to agree with you. And and this seems to be, I don't want to call it a team because it's only happened a couple of times, but it happened in the Burnley game where uh, we drew, ended up drawing 1-1. It's happened again in this game where we ended up drawing 1-1 and, and we're all waiting for a change. And it's come a little bit too late where you're not giving these guys who you're bringing on enough time, uh, enough maybe an, just an opportunity to, to make an impact. Now you could say it only takes a second to score a goal. But when you're drawing 1-1, and you're at home, the crowd's on you, you're kind of expected to win. United have been battered by Watford most recently, Liverpool, Man City. Um, And so as league leaders, the crowd's expecting you to do something similar, and you throw on Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount around the 77th minute, who Mount's been in and out. We've spoken about this, Pulisic's coming back into his own um, it's a different situation than when you're away to Leicester and you throw Pulisic on 2-0 up. There's no pressure really on him to score. In this game, you're almost saying, go save us or go win us this game. And they can do it, but it it just wasn't enough time. And then Lukaku, every time Werner missed an opportunity or did something um, that wasn't helpful for the team the camera panned to Lukaku and Lukaku was just sitting there on the bench looking over and it's like the cameraman knew it too he's like I want you to put this man on so that we can see him and maybe he scores one of those opportunities but I can't be too critical with Tuchel because he's one of the reasons we're in the position we are on the table Um, but hopefully he's taking these games as an opportunity to say maybe I don't wait till the 77th minute. Maybe I do it 10 minutes prior and give my guys enough time to win this. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to dwell on that fact because you've, you've summarized it really, really well and that Tuchel has brought us to where he is today. But there were a couple of moments where, you know, Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech combined beautifully to unlock that defense and allow Pulisic to bring a beautiful cross or... Mount, who has not been playing so well, like you mentioned, would come in deep and receive the ball, which we were missing in that first half, and almost say, hey, it's really tight up here. Let me come deeper, collect it, and run at people. And, and those are things that you're looking at. And even, you know, as good as Hudson Adoy is, it's like we're looking at him and going, like, he's going down the left, trying to cut in and make a cross. And so Man United go, we know what he's going to do. So you want to bring something different to kind of change these guys' mindset, because Man United look comfortable defending us for the most part. They want any panicky moments for them. They weren't scared. And so, yes, Tuchel's got us to where he is. And I don't want to be critical, but I want to be fair and say we've given him a lot of praise. We gave Lampard a lot of criticism for making late changes, uh, something hopefully Tuchel's looking towards, and then we go from there. I agree. The, the only last thing, I guess, from, from this game was uh, for how many players United had put in the box, and even when Lukaku came on, there was always someone just on him 
I was hoping and, and wanted to see maybe someone running off of Lukaku or, or kind of being the second striker where United now have to focus on two people as well as everyone else that's driving into the box. And, and that's something I miss seeing because that may have opened up an opportunity for a Lukaku who eight, nine minutes that he got seemed kind of ineffective because he was just crowded by, by United. Uh, but that was the theme of the day. United crowded the box, but in late tackles, but in late challenges, uh, De Gea saved a few chances and, and they go away with the one, one draw. Uh, honestly, for them, a great point away from home for us. Dropping points, uh, still top of the table, but Man City have now closed the gap because they did beat West Ham earlier in the day. Yeah, and Liverpool as well were are on a good run as well. So it, it's one of those things, Rahul. I, again, I think we you know dust off the boots, take it back, learn from some of the mistakes that have happened, and then try and be more clinical as we move forward. I agree. So before we move on to uh, some of the other topics we want to discuss here, just some questions coming up from this game and I guess from the season, maybe towards the end of last season. Um, one player that we've kind of touched on in this episode is Timo Werner. He starts, mm-hmm. he has some opportunities, one of the ones notably where he kind of uses the outside of his boot to curl it in, it doesn't go in. Um, is Timo's time up at Chelsea and I know certain fans want him to be sold um, for you and, and I'll give you my opinion too for you is this kind of heading towards a situation where he moves on in the summer you know it's a very tough question to answer because I think Timo Warner the interviews I've watched of him not necessarily in terms of football but him as a person seems like a genuinely good guy uh, I've even watched videos this morning where he and Mason Mount are playing around on on training and, and he fits in very well into the team as far as morale goes and things like that. But the Timo Werner we saw at Leipzig is not the same Timo Werner we're seeing at Chelsea. I mean, he did start his career off very well under Frank Lampard. He scored quite a few goals. I think it was 12 or 13 goals in the first half of that first season. But then he kind of tapered off and... It seems to be a trend, Rahul, for for Chelsea with certain types of strikers that are uh, pacey, faster, a little bit smaller in stature, not necessarily like a Drogba-esque or or a a Diego Costa-esque physical player. And so I sit back and I wonder, you look at the likes of Alvaro Morata that was, you cut his time short, and then you look at the likes of Timo Werner now, that has cut his time short. And in between, we've had loans of those pacey players and the likes of Alexander Pato or Higuain that haven't always panned out. And so I wonder, what is it that we are doing different towards this personality or this structure of striker, where we're always going to go look for a focal point or a big physical guy? And you, you look at it for Drogba for years, who managed and dominated that front line as a physical focal point. And then we could never really replace him. And then we went and got Diego Costa, who was physical and dominated at that one point. And now we jump into the Lukaku front. So I don't want to say his time is up at Chelsea, but I want to say that we need to ask some big questions of our coaching staff and of our team of how we play. Why can't we get the best of Timo Werner as of when he started this season or two seasons ago now? And he was doing very well. What's breaking this man's confidence? So, I, for one, I like him. I hope he's not gone in the summer and we can unlock the key for Timo Werner. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't want to say that's it, let's sell him, because there is a player there, like you said, at Leipzig, he was a top goal scorer in the Bundesliga. He was There was a reason we purchased him, uh, and there was a reason Liverpool were in the market for him too. Uh, so there's definitely a good player there. Obviously, in the last 18 months since he's been here, things haven't worked out for him. Um, but hopefully with players coming back, at least the players that may be first choice, he gets to just get fit, get some time off the bench, uh, get a couple of goals and, and build his confidence and then come in and be one of the guys that's pushing and saying, boss, I need you to play me instead of Lukaku or, or whoever. Uh, and he's still young. I think we could still see a, a better Timo Werner in the next couple of seasons. So um, I I wouldn't sell him just yet. But, you know, as with as is the case with Chelsea, if, if they find a better deal or someone that uh, seems to fit the system better for Tuchel, he, we could make that switch. Uh, another player that I wanted to talk about is Hakim Ziyech. He came in again around the same time as Timo Werner. Uh, from Ajax and did pretty well under Frank Lampard uh, under Tuchel's. He's played mainly off the bench, started the last few games here this season. Uh, are we ever going to see the heights that he hit at Ajax uh, for him, for Chelsea? Or again, is this a player that we may move on uh, in the summer? Yeah. You know, with, with Hakim Ziyech, at least this is my personal opinion. I think it's a little bit different mold. And by that, I mean, it's more of a luxury player. I don't see him working as hard, for example, as Timo Werner. Uh, Timo will run all day long and try and help. Even, you know, I, I hate to throw Hudson Odoi, but he was defending at right wing back when we were under counterattacks from Manchester United. But you don't see Hakim Ziyech trying to put in that effort or that workload that a Timo or a Mason or even a Kai Havertz, who's not always having the greatest season, but they seem to work hard. Hakim almost reminds me of a luxury player that when things are going well, he slots in fine. But when it's time to, to roll your sleeves up and do the physical dirty work, he's not really interested. And, and I know he's had a few injuries. He's shown some of his exciting crosses and talents here and there, but it's not been consistent enough. And it's one of those things where I wonder, coming from Holland, where it's not as physical or not as pacey, if he's just not going to be able to adjust to the Premier League. And look, it, it can be a similar question to what I asked about Timo. What is our staff doing to bulk him up or get him ready with fitness to, to survive the Premier League? But he's one of those, given the position as well, Rahul, with all of those players that are vying for that two behind the striker, he may not survive to the next summer. He may have to find football somewhere else. And that's tough. I know he's a good player on his own, but does he fit into our team? I don't know. Yeah, I think it comes down to, at Ajax, he was, you could say, one of the main players there. He was maybe one of the star players that they relied on. At Chelsea, it's almost a case of, if you don't perform for a few games or a few months, you you get subbed. And, And that's tough for certain players that are used to being the main guy, where now they have to be just one of the guys because there's so many people ahead of you. And I think he suffered from that. He's obviously bounced back and scored some crucial goals. I think back to Atletico Madrid at home in the Champions League. I think back to FA Cup goal against Manchester City. Um, And even in preseason, he was doing pretty well. Um, But then an injury happened and he's just struggled to come back in. In this particular game, I think he did everything well, except 
in the attacking third, again, that could right. be down to United's defensive setup. Uh, but I did see him working a little bit harder than we have. And, and that may be credit to him and Tuchel saying, listen, if you want to stay in this team, I need you to work harder. And, and uh, he he's doing that. I don't know if he stays once Pulisic, Mount, Havertz are all kind of back up to speed. Uh, and I think I kind of agree with you that in the summer, he may look at the, uh, the opportunity to move elsewhere and maybe be that star name again. So uh, it's a, it's still a long season to go and, and hopefully he can come in big and, and do some of the things that we saw at Ajax. But um, right now we're not seeing that. So right. um, my final question here is, and this could be the key to everything that we've just spoken about is, our front three seems to be a rotating kind of situation. Yes, when Lukaku was fit, he was kind of starting every game and the two behind him were, were constantly changing. But now in the last few weeks, we've seen Havertz come in, get injured. We've seen Timo come in. We've seen Mount come in and get injured. We've seen Pulisic come in and get injured. And so it almost feels like everywhere else on the pitch, we seem to be solid in terms of who starts and who plays and who slots in but in the front three it's almost like we don't know who's going to be playing every game or, or who comes in and, and does what they need to and is that something that's affecting our, our our output in terms of games where we don't score goals because guys haven't been playing enough it's a fair question and I'm going to try and dodge it a little bit because I think it's a yes and a no, to be very honest with you. Yes, we 100% need some consistency with maybe with, with regards to the competition at the very least. I think that's where we're not finding that consistency because we do play a lot of football. It's, it's one day Premier League, two, three days later, it's a cup game, two, three days later, it's Premier League, two, three days later, it's Champions League. And so... I understand on the physical aspects of do I want these guys playing, um, I don't know, six games in two weeks. It, it's going to take a toll on the body, but can they play three games in two weeks as a consistent three and a consistent three? I think that's what Tuchel wants. And I think that's what he's trying to do with the facts of pick one three that will always play together and then have another three that will always play together. And I, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's Lukaku, Mount, and Pulisic, and then he goes back and makes it Werner, Kai Havertz, and Hakim Ziyech. We do have the quality to do that. But of course, injuries keep coming in between. And then Tuchel's a fair guy. He's also going to play on form. So you've talked about, you know, Werner having a good game or Hakim Ziyech having a good game. But then you look at Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's training extremely hard. And when he does play, he plays really well. So yes, you want consistency. Injuries are not helping it. Multiple games are not helping it. And then Tuchel has to be fair to the guys who are training hard. And then when they do come on, they're performing for us. It's a very, very hard question to answer. And, and I'm sorry, I kind of gave you both sides of the field. No, and I mean, I, 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 if you had asked me that question, I think it would have given a similar response because it's tough to say these are my front three and, and I'm going to go with them for every game. Because like you said, we play a lot of games uh, and there has to be rotation. And unfortunately, injuries haven't helped. But hopefully going into December, going into January, we could have a more defined front three where players will obviously come and go in terms of games and stuff. But uh, we know Lukaku, maybe Mount and Pulisic are those three and, and anyone else kind of works around them. So uh, hopefully with players coming back into fitness, we see uh, some, some consistency, at least in the front three, but that those were some of the questions I had for you. And I, I hope our listeners um, 
enjoyed that at least back and forth that we had. Uh, let's move on to the Ballon d'Or ceremony that happened in uh, Paris uh, yesterday, actually. Didier Drogba was hosting. I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch it or at least see some of the clips on, on social media, but uh, he seems to be pretty natural at, at, at hosting such a, a ceremony. So hopefully we'll get to see more of him. Uh, but coming to the Chelsea side, Jorginho finishes third uh, as the as the overall best player on the planet behind Lionel Messi and Lewandowski. So not a bad achievement for him uh, or for a player that we've, you and I honestly have been pretty critical of in the past. Uh, Conte finishing fifth, which again, could he have finished above Benzema? I think so. Maybe uh, some others don't. Lukaku finishing 12th, mainly down to what he did for Inter. Mason Mount finishing 19th, uh, cracking that top 20 list uh, in his second full season for Chelsea or third full season, uh, which is great. And then Aspilicueta finishing 29th. Look, just to have five players mentioned in that name uh, of brilliant players mixed with Messi, Lewandowski, uh, Neymar, the likes of Ronaldo. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see. And I look at it this way. It's like you look at Conte finishing fifth. I think maybe because he's had his injury problems throughout the season, uh, last season and this season, it's hard to see him playing week in, week out and showing the levels that we know he can achieve. And for Jorginho, look, uh, we just finished criticizing him not 10 minutes ago. But, you know, it comes back to what I said, Rahul. I think this man's got nerves of steel. I think he doesn't let anything affect him. He keeps driving. And, and on his day, and we've said this, on his day when he is performing, he really does know how to control a game and he really does help give or help people understand the definition of a regista where he's able to come take the ball from very deep, open up play and look for a pass. So credit to that man. I hope that he can build off of this. Not that I necessarily think I needed him to be a Ballon d'Or winner. I think he's performed for Chelsea. He's won multiple trophies for us. And so if he can continue to do that, that's what's the most important thing for us as Chelsea fans. Yeah, and, and he becomes the first player since Frank Lampard in 2005 uh, to crack that top three. Frank Lampard finished second, obviously, in 2005. So uh, when Jorginho signed in 2007-17, I believe, um, 18, I beg your pardon, I don't think anyone would have said this man's going to go break this record that Lampard's holding on to. So... Congratulations to him. He's proven, at least in this past year, that he deserves to be there. Uh, on the women's side, Sam Kerr finishes third as well. So uh, major congratulations to her. And, and hopefully she can go one or two better, I guess, in her case uh, next season and, and go ahead and pick up that golden ball for, for the women's side. Um, there's a topic or a lot of discussion amongst Chelsea fans where Edward Mendy doesn't pick up the best goalkeeper of the year, finishes second behind Donnarumma. And that boggles my mind a little bit because Mendy was flawless in the Champions League. And uh, for how good Donnarumma was in the Euros, I think Mendy, maybe I'm biased, was, is clear in terms of winning that trophy. Look, it, it's one of those where it's voted on by journalists, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. That's how I understand it to work. And so I think a lot of eyes, maybe ears, were on the short tournament that is the Euros. And I think sometimes people forget that Mendy came into a team that had the world record signing for a goalkeeper at the time in Kepa and was able to displace him with the snap of a finger. Look, I don't want to say Kepa was flying high, 
and was having the best moment of his career. He was struggling. Let's be very honest right. here. But Mendy to come in, given his story, given his history, and slot right into it. You know, we, we protected Timo Warner. We protected Kai Havertz. We protected Hakim Ziyech saying, new country, new language, new tournament, new this, new whatever. And so give them time. But we never gave Mendy any excuses. He came in with the same stipulations, Rahul, new country, new tournament, new whatever you want to call it. And from day one that the ball touched his gloves, he has been incredible and impeccable. And yes, uh, we struggled with defenses issues on the Lampard, but then Tuchel comes in and people go, yeah, he switched to a back three. Yeah, he's put two defensive midfielders in there. But the amount of saves that we have seen Mendy make, even recently, just goes to show you that he is a top, top quality goalkeeper. Now, if somebody's not seen that and voting on, on one tournament, and of course the Euros is a massive tournament, so no disrespect to what Donnarumma has achieved. And yes, I can be biased, but there's, it doesn't make sense how many second compared to Donnarumma on the case of a whole year. I agree. And, and I think that leaves a, a sour taste in, your, in our, at least Chelsea fans' uh, mouth in terms of these awards seem to be more of a popularity contest than actually given on performances. And that brings me to to Messi taking home his seventh Ballon d'Or. Again, look, Messi in the past years has been phenomenal. We've called him not from this planet. Uh, but for him to win this award over Lewandowski, who's basically scored like a goal a game or maybe two goals a game in this year, <laughs> seems a little crazy. And it basically is like, well, Messi won the, the South American tournament and he scored a bunch of goals. So he's he's got to do it because he did it for Argentina finally. Yeah, look, I'm not a Messi hater. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like that, but I don't think he deserves to have this Ballon d'Or. And deserve is not my my place to claim or make. But on me watching football as a humble fan here and understanding how football works, yeah, you can win a trophy, but it doesn't really mean that that's the only thing that makes you a Ballon d'Or winner. It's back to the same thing as Mendy. Watch it over the entire year. Watch it over what you perform, what you achieve. And then you look at Lewandowski and you say, okay, great. He's done it over his club competition, but he missed it with his country. And I, and I pause for a second and I love to give respect to everybody, but you look at the players that Messi played alongside in Argentina versus what Lewandowski has to do with Poland. He carries the Poland team. His stats for the international team are incredible. And so they need to take that into consideration. Look, at the end of the day, it's people voting. They can vote for who's got the most likes on Instagram or who's got the most <laughs> followers on Instagram. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, it's it's disappointing to see because I know some of these players take it very seriously and they work their whole careers to try and win something this prestigious and it doesn't happen. But uh, for Lewandowski, if he ever listens, look, man, if you ever wanted to join Chelsea, I'll happily take you <laughs> in our starting lineup and you can do what we need to do. <laughs> That's, that, that was a good segue because it brings me back to the biggest award of the night. Uh, no, I'm only joking. A new award that they introduced this year was Club of the Year, and, and Chelsea won it. Uh, first time ever they had it, and, and Chelsea were crowned that, mainly because we had 11 players nominated across the men's and women's team. Uh, and so we win the Club of the Year. And honestly, I, yeah, we won it, like, great. But I, I personally would have liked to see Mendy and some of the other guys get the recognition that they deserve. So... Congratulations to our club, and, and we're happy for them. But kind of, kind of doesn't feel like like anything. <laughs> no, and to you and I, Roland, we said this in many episodes. I don't need a Ballon d'Or 
trophy competition to tell us where the club of the year. We're such a well-run club. Uh, we, you can clearly see that with the per- talent we're producing, that even though we do have a managerial turnaround, that every couple of years we're in and around a major tournament or a major final towards the Premier League. And so that tells a story on its own. So uh, Ballon d'Or, great, nice, fun time, but doesn't really matter so much for the situation. I agree. So let, let's move on and come back to the club of the year um, in Chelsea and, and the Premier League games coming up. So uh, we kind of look at the next month here, which is December, and it's a busy time. Like we've said, we've got Watford that we're going to talk about here in a second. Next, away from home. Then we've got West Ham United a few days later on the weekend away from home. And we've got Leeds at home at the bridge. We've got Everton at the bridge. We've got Wolves away. We've got Aston Villa away on Boxing Day. And then the final game of the month is Brighton at home. So a lot of football to be played here. And don't forget, we have Champions League in there. We've got Carabao Cup in there. Um, So we're going to be busy here on the Premier Chels. Um, But let's start with Watford away. Um, They obviously have Claudio Ranieri there. Uh, They most recently lost against Leicester 4-2 in the snow. Uh, They beat Manchester United 4-1. They've lost to Arsenal. They've lost to Southampton. And they've won against Everton their last five. So um, they've picked up some impressive wins, but obviously lost some games too. So we coming into this game top of the table on the back of a United draw. It should be a tough game. Obviously, no game's easy. But who would you start to navigate through this game? I'm going to go for the best goalkeeper in the world, even though the Ballon d'Or does not think about him. That's Mendy. I think he's obviously got to start as much as he can when he's here. Hopefully the African Cup of Nations does not derail that. Then we've got a back three. We're going to stick with Rudiger. I think, of course, he's going to continue playing in the form he's in. Maybe he'll score a goal this time instead of missing (laughs) the one he did in the previous game. Thiago Silva, uh, brilliant, continues to hold that central center back position and then right center back. I think it's a controversial one, but I've got to go on, on performances just like Tuchel does. And I don't see how you drop Trevor Chaloba. And I love Aspilicueta. You did an amazing interview with Aspilicueta where he seems like a generally down to earth man, but honestly, you know, Chaloba is playing really, really well. And so he's got to continue to hold on to that spot. Uh, moving into the midfield and wing backs. I think Marcos Alonso stays just because of Ben Chilwell's injury. Uh, maybe Tuchel might try to do something funky there, but for now, let's play it safe and continue what we're doing. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho, again, based on injury, so it's easy enough there. Reese James, man, what a player that guy is. I wish he could have scored a, a goal or two against Manchester United. Hopefully he can against Watford. Uh, front three is always tricky. I think Lukaku deserves a game. Hopefully he's back to full fitness and start this one. And the two behind Lukaku, I'm going to go for Callum Hudson-Odoi because I think he's in good, good form. And then I'm going to ask to give me, give me Chris. I want Christian Pulisic back in the game. Give me Chris. Hey, that's a, that's a strong lineup. My only, I guess, question is with three games last week, with a midweek game here, with West Ham coming up on the weekend, um, does he rotate some of the guys like a Chaloba, maybe a Thiago Silva? Um, Reese James seems to have picked up a knock, so we, we may see Espelicueta come in. But apart from that, I think the midfield and, and the left wing back position, we don't really have that many options. Uh, and I'd love to see Lukaku, Hudson, Adore, and Pulisic starting because um, that's something that we haven't seen at all 
And I think those three would, would be good connecting with each other and, and causing some problems for Watford. So um, an exciting lineup and, and we'll see what Tuchel comes out with. But based on this lineup, what do you think happens in terms of score prediction? Yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-0 win. I'd like to see Christian Pulisic get another goal, and then I'm waiting for Callum Hudson-Roach to send one into the far corner. <laughs> and that's I'm I'm going for a three-nil. So I guess I'm going to go for Christian Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi, and maybe Lukaku making it three-nil. <laughs> um, and Ben Foster, who will have his GoPro, I guess, behind the goal recording, will get to watch all of those goals on YouTube over and over again. So. Uh, should be a good game, a midweek game here in the Premier League and uh, one that we'll be watching. I'm not sure if you'll be watching uh, in Blanco, Texas. You may be out for the we'll day. Try. But, <laughs> uh, but I'll try to keep up with it and and hopefully we'll get a win. But Absolutely. before we wrap it up, any parting thoughts before uh, this Watford game? Yeah, you know, Chelsea's coming off a, a loss, but I don't think that's something that should make us nervous. It's the return for those who don't know of Claudio Ranieri. Yes, he has come back to the bridge a few times as left the manager, but it'll be good to see him now with Watford. He's been out of England for a couple of seasons here. So uh, nothing to be scared of. I think it's a game that if we want to continue with the form that we're in, that we should be winning on paper. But look, you can never predict the Premier League. So I'm sitting back and send me the updates if I can't watch it. I will end <laughs> And uh, from my side, I think it's the start of a busy period. We've said we've read out seven games in the Premier League. Uh, so hopefully we can start off on the right foot and continue on the right foot because uh, this time around last year was when things started falling apart. So uh, December is a crucial month and hopefully we can start it off on the right foot. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, on, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, and as always, please send us your feedback. And we will be back later this week uh, with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels.